into positions of hopelessness and helplessness. The government gives them the drugs, builds bigger prisons, passes a three-strike law, and then wants us to sing God Bless America. No, no, no. Hello and welcome to Pod Damn America. Anders Lee here. I have hijacked the podcast this week. That's right. Um, Jake and Alex are tied up in the corner, and I am doing a solo episode on one of my favorite topics, and that is the Clinton administration. Now, some of you are scratching your heads at home. You're thinking, what, pray tell, relevance does the Clinton White House have to my life? in the year 2023 and the things we care about on this podcast. Uh, And here's the thing. I finished a book, which is not something I get to say very often, a few times a year. Um, I I read a lot of books, finish a few of them. I have a thousand hustles going on right now. That's what I call books that I'm reading. Uh, Just all these all these page pages being turned uh, throughout the week in different places, one at a time. Uh, I'll read 10 pages a week from 10 different books and finish none of them. This one, however, I did read cover to cover, or should I say PDF, uh, open to uh, last scroll. Um, it was a great read, and it is by a labor historian, Nelson Lichtenstein, who, um, as you're interested, as you're as you're uh, listening to this podcast, you may find yourself disagreeing with certain things he says or ways he frames things, and that I think is okay. Just a little context: this is a guy who is a product of the new left, so he does understand Marxism in and out, and I think more specifically understands capitalism very well. And at its core, that's what I think this book is about. It's not just a political analysis of the 1990s. There is some of that. But uh, fundamentally, this is an analysis of capitalism from a macro bird's eye view level. How did it transform after the Cold War? What were the seeds of possibility uh, that were there, that were present, that were live at the time? And how did they sprout uh, and or uh, how does a plant die? Just die. I guess that would be the word. Um And, you know, he does kind of counter one of the narratives that I myself have deployed quite a bit. I know most of us haven't, and and, uh, not to be confused with the liberal, though, he does point out that the Clinton campaign of 1992 the, the early Clinton presidency, there was much more of a social democratic bent. Um, and that's one of those seeds of possibility. You know, it wasn't it wasn't just this simple uh, DLC hack who just had a self-conscious and uh, premeditated shift of the Democratic Party to the right. That that didn't happen so cut and dry as we might uh, expect it. So on a structural level, you can look at it and say that, but I think it really is interesting on historically to look at all the different dynamics at play in the Clinton years, and how uh, he failed, which is really what the book is about and, and, and entitled, A Fabulous Failure. Um, 
about the, the Clinton presidency and the transformation of American capitalism is what the full name is. It's from Princeton Press. And I was really pleased to be able to speak with the author. So let's go to that tape. All right. We are now joined by Professor Nelson Lichtenstein, who is a professor of history at UC Santa Barbara. Professor, thank you for joining me. Glad to be here. And you're the author of a, a new book, A Fabulous Failure, uh, which is about the Clinton administration. I found it to be a, a, a fabulous read. Um, why don't we start by uh, you telling us how you, you, as I understand it, you sort of inherited this project from uh, bit, yeah. the late Judith Stein. How did you wind up writing this book and, and what drew you to the subject matter in the first place? Right. Well, I knew Judith for a long time. And, uh, and then when she unfortunately died in the spring of 2017, uh, I, I wrote an obituary, uh, kind of uh, explaining her, you know, his her work. Uh, her work. I'll just turn that. Well, turn that on. Uh, explaining her work, and um, and then uh, as a result of that, her agent asked me to uh, to take a look at what she'd done and and to, and to, and, to, and to write the book and write a book. And and she'd begun. She'd just begun. Uh, she had sort of a kind of a sketch. Of some things, uh, some things were, uh, you know, we 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 had the same. We thought in a similar way about all sorts of questions, and I, I was a great admirer of her work and her book on on steel and the seventies and, and things of that sort. And um, uh, so uh, I, I I actually assembled some of my grad students and we had a discussion about what I would write, and I decided to take it over. Interestingly, the original uh, press that she had. Uh, really, basically abandoned it. Uh, the phrase that they, that I heard uh, was Clinton fatigue, and this was in 2017. And and the Clintons were really in the doghouse, you know. Obviously, after that, but I I then began, and basically, I mean, it, it, it's sort of. Um, I'm glad that she's on the cover. You know, she, she I, I, I respect and, and that's fine. Uh, it, it's essentially uh, my book. I mean, I'm not quite sure where she would have gone. I mean, you know, it, you know, collaborations are one thing, but when the person passes away, I, I mean, there were some key ideas that are that we shared and, and I've elaborated upon. No doubt about that. That is the idea of varieties of capitalism, the idea of industrial policy as an issue that actually both Republicans and Democrats were in. To. So some of the some of those ideas are there, and then I've elaborated on many other things, like including health insurance, the health plan, and and all sorts of other things. So uh, it was. A, I'm glad I wrote it, uh, and I mean, you know, it was her, her her idea to write a book about the Clinton administration, and I I totally recognize that. I'm I'm glad I could do it. Yeah. Well, I want to ask about that that notion of of Clinton fatigue, uh, which yeah. you mentioned. Yeah. You know, after the 2016 primaries, which you know, right, right. a lot of people right. of my age and ilk right. are, are still relitigating right. in our minds. Right. Right. Um, how would you elaborate on what is kind of the, the standard critique from, uh, say, the, the Bernie bros of the world uh, against right. the Clinton administration? Right. Is there a little more to it? And, and what, well, is, how is I, that? Well, actually, I mean, I, I agree with the with the the, uh, the Sanders critique. Uh, uh, I, I would say this, that, that interestingly, in terms of just um, public reception or standing of the Clintons, uh, it, it, it was they were doing fine in many ways uh, up to 2015. Uh, Bill Clinton uh, gave a very good speech at the Democratic National Convention in 2012, defending Obamacare, and it was and it was very well received, extremely well received, that he was an advocate of that. Uh, and then Hillary was a very sort of popular, successful Secretary of State, and 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 actually she. 
she as I, in the book i make it clear she to a degree stands to the left of bill clinton on on, on many questions but then it it, it it what happened was that when when just that, that uh sanders comes along <laughs> really it's sanders not trump it's sanders who just says he doesn't have to denounce them he just says this is what i stand for <laughs> you know and that was kind of refreshing and 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 and, and hillary had you know it's this is this is true of any all sorts of politicians you get you get uh uh kind of caught up or captured by the world you've helped create so she was afraid to come out for a a real increase in the minimum wage you know she had she had done these speeches at at, at goldman sachs which in other moments would not have been uh, seen as seen as so bad but it was really just bernie sanders saying this is who i am this is what i stand for and that just made them look terrible and and, and right rightly so i mean i i think they by the time 2015 came along uh i i think in 2016 clinton's campaign was uninspired uh and it you know against trump and that was and of course he uh had at that moment trump and this was I mean, you know, whether we could look back and take this seriously or not, he was talking about globalization. He was talking about uh, what's wrong with trade deals. He was talking about deindustrialization. I mean, it was all sort of phony and it's real real essence was a kind of ethno-nationalism but nevertheless that was there and that also uh, uh, Clinton really had no uh, they had no response to that. Well, going back to uh, Bill Clinton's uh, political career and his trajectory, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. You, you write quite a bit, bit about his um, governorship in yeah. Arkansas. How would you, how would you characterize that tenure and, and spe specifically his his yeah. relationship with with organized labor in Arkansas? Right. Well, right. I mean, he was in he was governor of Arkansas for twelve years, which is like you know fifty percent more than he was in the in the White House. So that's an important you know mm -hmm. formative thing for him. I mean, his his essential problem at in Arkansas, and he was you know how do I do something to get Arkansas economically out of the out of the cellar. So he was going all over the world, you know, looking for models of economic development. Whether and sometimes they were kind of, you know, radical and statist. Uh, Northern Italy and Germany and Japan. He was all over the place. Um, he was looking for. He was he was part of this 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 kind of um, a kind of a policy milieu in the in the really the 80s 70s 80s which was thinking in time in terms of sort of you know using the state for economic development i mean he was not a a neoliberal you know at you know in, in that moment he was you know in that sense he was quite willing to do that and i, I do think part of his administration uh he tries to carry that on now on labor things there's just no he's got in arkansas there are these incredibly big powerful firms which are totally non-union walmart tyson's food i wrote a book about walmart mm -hmm. i mean called the i called it the, the template for 20th century capitalism a 21st century capitalism and and in some ways is and and clinton you know is was you know like any well, successful politician. I guess he gets himself reelected. He was not going to confront these firms, and that meant he was going to kick uh, organized labor uh, on the sidelines. And really, there's, it's, uh, there's no excuse. It's 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 purely opportunistically and despicable what he does with, say, for example, the Arkansas Education Association, where he is and Hillary. They are in favor of actually raising money. To, to improve, you know, education in a, in a southern state, that was hard to do. You know, had to raise taxes. They were for doing that, and they did do it. But 
what they did was they demonized, tried, I think, totally dishonestly, the Arkansas Educational Association in the process. And I think it's kind of unforgettable and uh, unforgivable. And it indicates, you know, the, the, the way in which um, uh, Democratic politicians can be completely opportunistic uh, when it comes to labor, especially when labor is not strong. And it wasn't strong in Arkansas. And by the time he got to the White House, if you, if you want to talk about a moment when American labor is at its weakest, both ideologically and structurally and in every other way, really the 80s and 90s are it, you know? So, uh, I mean, and sometimes Clinton would even say, oh, I wish I had more pressure from the left, you know? He, he would sort of wistfully say that, but but in fact, you know, he, he wasn't doing anything to to create it. And uh, and, and the labor movement, I mean, you, it was, this was a, 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 you know, I could go on, uh, you know, it was Cold War. <laughs> You know, it was it was more interested in what's going on in Poland. And, you know, it, it had many problems. Uh, Sweeney would come in and make things a little better. But basically, the, the labor movement was terrible when Clinton was in the off, in office in the White House. Well, you I want to ask about this, uh, the term industrial policy, which yeah. uh, comes yeah. to the fore in policy circles in the, in the 1980s. Uh, yeah. It's sort of this hybrid idea where labor unions are not quite in the picture, but the state is very much an right. actor. Uh, what is industrial policy and how did it right. shape uh, Clinton's thinking? Right. Well, I mean, I think he was, uh, well, what it is, okay, well, it, it is a little fuzzy. Uh, we now, by the way, today have a reanimation re re of that idea, and the, and the Biden people are talking about it. They use the phrase, well, industrial strategy, or, or they use policy as well. What it meant was that the, that the state would be, would be actively involved in 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 uh, in aiding and structuring and in, in, in you know for certain key sectors certain sectors not not the entire economy I mean uh, I'll get to that in a second that was what Robert Rubin wanted to do and 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 success, succeeded in doing but for certain key sectors and one thing that actually Judith um, in her very early uh, uh, work pointed out was that the Reagan administration was doing that when it came to uh, computer chips and motorcycles, you know, and, and certain other kind of key, you know, often re Republican uh, constituency, you know, things of that so steel. And, to, and, and so the, the Reagan people were not like, you know, free tra uh, complete free traders. Uh, and the Commerce Department was a sort of under Reagan was a font of of what we well, they, they would they would they didn't quite call it industrial policy, but that's what it was. And at one point, half a, a, a trillion, no, was it, no, half of um, several billion dollars is put together to create a consortium to uh, make sure that America is uh, producing co computer chips uh, and 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 then and and, the, and that Japan is not eating our lunch. So that was one thing that happened in, in Reagan. Uh, and then Kit uh, Clinton, uh, there are there are uh, people he appoints. Laura Tyson, count, the Council of Economic Advisors, chairman chairwoman of that. I mean, she'd been at Berkeley, a big advocate of industrial policy and managed trade. The two go together. You know, you know. Uh, in other words, and main Japan in those days was the key prompt was the key issue. And then people like Ira Magaziner and Robert Reich and and a whole bevy of people were industrial policy, you know, uh, theorists. And Clinton uh, initially he he was part of that world. Um, uh, he would he would then I mean and and the and the initial sort of uh, well I make the point in the book that the whole Clinton healthcare. 
program was really sold as industrial policy that would was going to help American industry, you know, uh, reduce costs and compete with the Japanese, etc. Um, uh, I, I could go. I, I could. I mean, Robert Reich had his own view of industrial policy, which I think was kind of freckless. <laughs> and I think he's totally repudiated that today. But his view then was that, oh, what we do is we, we just we make we put a lot of money into training people, you know, up, upskilling them. And then, and then you will then get you know high tech industry and and you know and plants won't leave because we have such a skilled workforce. Others in the Clinton administration thought that was just freckless, really, or just uh, utopian. Uh, you needed a much more you know uh, statist perspective. And uh, uh, anyway, that was part of a debate that was taking place at that time. Yeah, well, it was. I think it was a real debate. I mean, they lost. They lost. Let's make it clear, they lost. But it was a real debate. Hmm. Yeah, I think one of the big revelations in, in this book, for a lot of people anyway, is, is Robert Reich, who's been very successful at kind of rehabilitating his image as this, you right, know, yeah. warm and fuzzy little right, progressive right. guy. Uh, but he certainly was um, had some some views that he's had to, to sort of. Yeah, I mean, he was never a labor guy. Uh, I mean, now he now he talks about it, but he was not then. And uh, and he thought, and you know, and there was a kind of the siren song of of labor management cooperation, which which Reich and many others were were, were seduced to it. And again, that extended over to the left to a degree uh, uh, in that period. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, but 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 Reich was actually he was actually quite embittered. By, by the failures of, of the Clinton administration, even given his politics at that time, uh, he he really did find people like Robert Rubin and and Lloyd Benson, Secretary of Treasury initially, and and others really just just too well. They were corporate. They were they were just they were they were corporate. You know, internationalist. You know, types who who really uh, you know didn't care about the hollowing out of the Midwest. When it came to various kinds of trade deals or, or anything else, for that matter. Right. Uh, well, I want to ask about the the ninety two primaries, which uh, can kind okay. of look yeah. like Clintonism is inevitable in retrospect, but there there really yeah, was but... a pretty broad range of candidates. Yeah. You had Tom Harkin on the left, sort of Jerry Brown yeah. as well, though he's a bit of an opportunist. Yeah. Yeah. But you yeah. also had uh, Paul Songus, a uh, real yeah. fountain of charisma, uh, who was, I guess, on the on the economic right. Uh, what yeah. were some and of the yeah. And who was that? Perot. Oh, in yeah. Perot. Yeah. Um, it was very, I mean, yeah, in some ways, the most important of the of the of the figures in, in many ways. Well, I mean, Cl yeah, Clint, I mean, yes, it was a kind of a free for all. Um, Clinton's from a small state. It wasn't, you know, uh, some Southerner. Uh, uh, Jimmy Carter was the last Southerner who uh, <laughs> got to the White House. And his, he didn't seem to be much of a success. Um, um, but Clinton did have the support of, of really of of the, well, I mean, actually, of Wall Street. Now, to say Wall Street is not exactly to say everything, because there was, there's an element of Wall Street which is democratic. And the reason it's democratic is because real estate, and there's a lot of real estate, as Goldman Sachs in particular, uh, you want cities to be viable that means you want to have a, a urban policy you don't want cities to collapse you know into the so, so that's one element uh and the second thing is that uh, wall street didn't care about taxes they did not care about taxes what they cared about was capital gains uh and the, you know the capacity of, of companies to do mergers and things of that sort so they were not so they were not 
you know, so the Rubin, the Robert Rubin element, uh, they, they were they yeah, raised taxes, no problem, and they were they were willing to go along with that, which was what Clinton wanted to do on on the wealthy, and he did do that in his first budget. Um, on the other hand, um, uh, Wall Street did not want any controls on capital, none whatsoever. Now that's just a way of saying. Clinton was totally acceptable to Wall Street, and, the, and in fact, the most, um, uh, uh, the single most uh, 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 corporate giver to Clinton's campaign was Goldman Sachs in 1992. Now, let me say one more thing about this this moment. Um, yes, Paul Sangas famously, and I, I use this in the book. He said, "The Cold War is over." Japan and Germany won, which is really saying, you know, we need to figure out what this variety of capitalism is, why it's more successful than ours. Uh, and Tsongas himself was was to the right of Clinton. Uh, he was not in favor of uh, of uh, raise, increasing the welfare state or, or even the health care plan, and he was not for taxing, uh, 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 you know, uh, the wealthy. Uh, uh, but but he but he did make that point, and I think that was, and I think Clinton agreed with that. He he saw, he saw that as a problem issue. And then again, Japan at this moment was a kind of uh, hysteria in the U.S. You know, Japan is number one. Japan has sort of figured out how to, you know, conquer the world again. I mean, uh, uh, um, uh, I think it's William Allen White, the famous journalist who um, wrote this article in the late 80s. He said, I was on the battleship Missouri in 1945 when we defeated them. And now <laughs> they're marching across the Pacific once again. I mean, it really was a Orientalist uh, kind of, you know, etc. And uh, Perot picks up on that, Ross Perot. And in many ways, Ross Perot is the most is the most is is the most important or, or sort of the most singular figure in that 92 moment because he 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 tells clinton um you know uh, you have to think about you know balancing the budget which clinton was not that concerned about but perot makes that a big deal he also of course he's he's fighting the nafta and the and 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 clinton has to think you know what what's what's the what am i going to do about that uh, and it really, it, 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 it he, he, he had, and there's nine, he gets 90% of the vote. Uh, and my, my, my basic perspective on that is that one of Clinton's greatest failures is he didn't capture that Perot vote, which was not Republican vote. Some of them had been Republican. It wasn't. And he, he fails to capture that. You would have had a big Democratic majority as if that Perot vote had become part of the Democratic base. But he, Clinton doesn't do that. Right. He, he sort of waffles on NAFTA in 92 yeah, right. and That's then right. makes That's it right. a non-issue. And then uh, he takes it up once once he gets yeah, in office, yeah. dispatches right. Gore to debate Perot right. about right. it. That's right. um, you know, and, and you write in the book about how perhaps the uh, both the negative impact and the positive impact of NAFTA were, were maybe exaggerated uh, leading up to its passage. But uh, yeah. what was the actual impact of NAFTA on the North American economy? Well, the, the the I mean the the um, Economic Policy Institute says, and in, in I think in the in like 2013 they had a study. They said uh, 700,000 jobs were lost as a result of of NAFTA. Now that's a lot. That's a bunch of jobs and uh, a, a lot over over many years. Probably most of those were in the agri uh, in um, 
uh, light manufacturing, um, not 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 in in the in the industrial Midwest. Uh, but the real the real problem is China, um, uh, which which is a uh, when when the, when the uh, you know uh, China is admitted to the World Trade uh, uh, Organization and and open door with China. That's what American business really wanted much more than than NAFTA. However, NAFTA is toxic. NAFTA is much more important politically because it's right on the border. It's immigration. It's you know racial you know conflict, and and so NAFTA is is what what is remembered and and it's become kind of this. It looms much larger even than China, uh, but because of that, and in fact, um, a, a very good study uh, by um, political scientist, uh, no, by economist. Um, Gavin Wright, Gavin Wright, is a very good study that that the in 1994 the uh, NAFTA is principally responsible for the the wipeout of the Democrats um, and in particular Southern Democrats who are wiped out in 1994 uh, and the, and that that's the year the the South becomes Republican. That's the year, uh, which is so important today. And and so NAFTA politically is more is it, it it's much more uh, kind of just just toxic compared to uh, its its economic impact, which is not not that great. I mean, I think I think I mean, see let's, I mean, I'm, in the agricultural side, there's free trade, and that takes a while to happen. But when 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 all these efficient producers in California are sending like rice and even beans and even corn to Mexico, it's it's making millions of peasants unemployed. You know, and then where do they go? They come to the border, and then, you know, so it. It, 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 that, that's what NAFTA does, you know. Right. And, you know, one of the more bizarre things to look in retrospect is, is these uh, 92 and then the 96 election maps. Clinton's winning places, not just like Arkansas and, and Tennessee, but Louisiana, Kentucky, places yeah, he did, he where does, you know, people don't even does. campaign anymore because they're foregone. Yeah. I mean, one thing that happened, I mean, this is the the um, uh, the long uh, aftermath of the civil rights movement. That is uh, Bill Moyers and when LBJ, they had a, in theory, a conversation in 1965 where LBJ says, I'm signing the civil rights law and i'm and that means the south is gone you know well in fact it took a generation for the south to to go i mean and clinton and jimmy carter and a number of other southern democrats southern white democrats got themselves elected in the in the in the late in the 70s and 80s uh and there was a kind of democrats they were they were they were not they were they were milk toast. They were centrist, but they were there, uh, and that ends. Ninety four is really when that begins to end. I mean, he he does yeah he wins some states in ninety six, but but um, uh, that's ending, and, and and the South is becoming just a, re- a Republican bastion. A white the white South is anyway. Right. Uh, well, right after NAFTA, around that time, you have um, the attempted health care reform. Which right. fails. Um, was organized labor's energy kind of sapped after the NAPTA fight uh, with with healthcare? Could they have contributed more and perhaps made it well, a better yeah, program? A fa- a fa- yeah, famous moment when when Lane Kirkland, uh, president of the AFL CIO, he says, "We got five million bucks. We can either put that to supporting your healthcare plan." Or to fighting NAFTA, which one do you want us to do? You know, <laughs> and uh, Clinton goes ahead with NAFTA. I, I mean, I think the NAFTA thing was a blunder. It was like I think China's opening was almost like structurally inevitable, you know, given the size of that economy. But 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 Mexico wasn't. I mean, you know, you know, the difference between a blunder and a kind of almost inevitable, you know, a, a kind of. Uh, 
anyway, uh, I think that Clinton, they, and, and many people in the Clinton inner circle, including Hillary and others, just thought, let's postpone NAFTA basically forever uh, and, and, and fight on health care first. So anyway, uh, uh, yes, labor, yes, labor is, is traumatized by this, by this um, uh, NAFTA. And the other thing Clinton does, Clinton's a terrible leader of the Democratic Party, terrible, um, uh, because he divides the party continuously on these trade bills. On, the, on NAFTA, he, he, uh, he, you know, he loses, uh, you know, I think 40% of the Democratic, the Democratic Party on, on the vote there, you know. Uh, so, and, and that happens again and again on fast track and on, on China to the WTO. He, he's always losing half the Democratic Party when it comes to trade bills and he needs Republican votes. Um, he, I would say this from Clinton's own point of view, I think he was, he said, well, I need a bipartisan you know, victory. I, I we passed this budget in August of '93 on a complete party line basis. That's going to be unpopular later on. I need something bipartisan, and he said, "So let's go with NAFTA." And and of course, it was bipartisan, but you know, big deal. Right. Um, and around this time, you mentioned John Sweeney, who uh, becomes later the yeah. leader of the AFL-CIO, represents sort of a. A newish yeah. uh, trajectory. What can you tell us yeah. about him and his career? Well, I mean, Sweeney was he did represent the, um, the you know, in terms of the structure of American capitalism. <laughs> you know, I mean, there is the manufacturing economy, which was um, and the building trades, which were the more, you know, which by then were, were the more traditional and more conservative, really. And, and so the manufacturing people, what they wanted in terms of labor law reform was uh, to end striker replacement. They, they want a striker replacement bill, which would have made that more difficult which is a good bill but sweeney representing the the, the kind of the uh, you know service sector the state employment uh health care and then potentially uh you know uh the re the giant retail sector he wanted uh laws that would that would facilitate organi organization you know uh you know and 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 and, and the, the clinton people uh, they welcomed Sweeney's victory uh they thought well that we again there, there was always a sort of sense from Clinton on down, we want uh, pressure from the left. You know, we, we, you know the, the the labor movement was so stolid. We want something from the left, uh, and it wasn't there. And I should say also, the civil rights forces in the 1990s were also somewhat quiescent. This was not a period of sort of mobilization. So they were. So it was sort of in that sense they were they were they they were kind of. Um, the, the Clinton people were sort of subject only to pressure from the from the from the right uh, and the Republicans and within their own administration. Um, so uh, the, the 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 I mean Sweeney I mean Sweeney actually I, I was a big fan of Sweeney at that time. I helped organize teach-ins uh, which celebrated his victory. Not not for him personally, but just the idea of a new revitalized labor movement. And it, the, the problem was that the, the, just the structure of American uh, labor law and the and the intransigence of, of corporations meant that the Sweeney's effort to revitalize the labor movement, uh, you know, didn't uh, didn't work. I mean, I think he did uh, break down the sort of the Berlin Wall that had been dividing sort of the left academy, you know, the left, you know, the, the people who had become the, the Bernie people. Uh, uh, and the labor movement, and that, that, that's very good. That's a salutary thing, but but uh, he didn't. But in fact, the labor movement did not, you know, uh, gain millions of new members. Right. One of the most frustrating parts for, of the book for me to read was that strike replacement bill, and and Clinton yeah, just kind of you know, punting yeah. on on it basically, and not not uh, going yeah. up to bat. Right. Right. He did, and that was right in the middle of this incredibly bitter strike. 
at Caterpillar, you know, which was like right in the heart of the Midwest, the, the most important union traditionally, the UAW, and it's getting hammered. And Clinton just felt, you know, I mean, given the structure of things, you know, I can't, you know, I can't get involved, you know, I can't really, you know, put the weight of it, you know, and it's it's really a tragedy. It's really a tragedy. And he, yes, he does. He he punts on the striker replacement. That's absolutely right, you know. Well, on the subject, I, would, I do want to ask about the uh, left opposition during the Clinton years. Um, if I'm not mistaken, I believe you were somewhat involved in the, the Labor Party, which was uh, – were you involved in that? I should A little bit less the Labor Party. What I was involved with was um, – uh, again, there were these uh, efforts uh, when Sweeney was elected to uh, to kind of bring um, uh, the, the 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 kind of you know well not just the academic left but sort of the American left, which had for thirty years saw itself really in opposition in many ways to the labor movement. Labor movement was terrible on affirmative action. It was terrible on Vietnam. It was you know pro Cold War. I mean you know I mean you know there were many things that were uh, and then Sweeney is a breath of fresh air. So we we organized a, a number of, of events uh, to say that and, and I think that was successful. That is the the bur uh, the uh, ultimately Occupy and Bernie and and things of that sort could not really have happened without this sort of end of this sharp division between the labor movement and the left, mm. you know? And today, I mean, the labor movement, you know, on, on, on gender questions, on, on cultural questions, is really on the left wing of the Democratic Party. I mean, before that, it wasn't. It was horrible. It was, you know, on, when it came to gay gay questions, it was it was really, you know, hostile to that, you know, in the, in the 70s and 80s. And that was just a, a huge blockage, but, you know, um, for recreating a kind of popular front. So we, we, we're, we're in a better position now, at least ideologically and politically, than we were in the 1990s. Right. Well, yeah, I mean, the, if I, I believe the Labor Party was uh, an attempt to sort of start building a third party. Uh, they yeah, neglected there were, there to run candidates. Um, Tony Mazzocchi right. and, and there was the people of the ILWU. Uh, yeah, I was not actually well involved with that. The people I identified with were, were the Labor Notes okay. crowd. And I've always said and there oh, there I would say, I mean, this is this is this actually. Well, it, it, it touches on the book, the, the Reich and others helped create the Dunlop Commission, which was a important high profile commission led by John Dunlop, which was designed to say to create, okay, look, uh, 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 you know, if we have a kind of new era of labor management cooperation, you know, quality circles, you know, uh, uh, various kinds of, uh, of participatory uh, work, et cetera, et cetera, uh, then this is the way both to enhance productivity and maybe even to re, you know get the union movement to ha you know have more members and have companies it won't be so hostile to it and that's what the whole Dunlop Commission was all about. Um, uh, the the it turned out to be a failure because management just said no <laughs> we're not you know no there is no deal we're going to cut here in which in which you, you know we 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 increase productivity of, of workers and we and therefore we recognize unions and the labor notes people uh were also they said all of these schemes for participation quality circles these are kind of you know just ways of eroding the the, con the sense of the union idea and uh there were a lot of people on the other left who disagreed with that the bluestones barry bluestone even ruth milkman who's a friend of mine very good you know but i think the labor notes people were right and others and, and it turned out that 
that that that the the union movement ultimately rejected this kind of uh, kind of cooperation. Robert Reich had been a big advocate of it, and today today he also has rejected that kind of pseudo uh, democratization at the shop floor. Mm. Well, something I want to ask about too is is uh, the growth of the carceral state under Clinton. Uh, he passes the oh, yeah. ninety four crime bill through right. there's some consternation right. from the left but a lot right. of a lot of progressives do go along with it yeah. Yeah. um what kind of impact does did does that have on the economy because you know clinton loves to mm-hmm. tout this figure about unemployment under his administration yeah. what he doesn't mention is that the, all the people going to prison actually helped the yeah. his unemployment yeah. numbers yeah i mean i mean uh, clinton was actually a big fan of william julius wilson the African-American sociologist who made the argument uh, uh, that, uh, you know, what we have to do is is, is bring, uh, you know, industry to the to the inner city. And that will, you know, to give uh, jobs to to African-Americans and mainly African-American men. I mean, it was a little bit sexist, but that was his. And Clinton, oh, Clinton, thought, oh, I, that's right. That's right. And so the initial idea of the uh, well, the welfare bill and then and the crime bill uh, was, OK, we're going to try to do that, you know, try to figure out how to do that now. The politics of it was that, you know, all the progressive elements of it were stripped out. And so you end up with a, just a harsh the welfare bill, certainly, and the crime bill as well. But what was interesting at that moment in 94 on the crime bill was it was not the, as controversial as it later became. Uh, you know, Hillary Clinton was later denounced for her support uh, and use of the word um, was it predatory. Super predator. Pred- pred- yeah, super predator. She was denounced in ninety five in, in two thousand fifteen and sixteen for that, and, and properly so. But uh, in two in nineteen ninety four, uh, that idea uh, it wasn't hegemonic, but it had a lot of currency. Uh, these sort of neo conservative. Um, uh, uh, kind of ideologues were pushing this in many different places, um, and um, uh, it, it was sort of ex- accepted for a moment. And then the the crime the crime bill of '94, which gave a lot more money to, you know, build prisons and things like, you know, it had support. Uh, well, I mean, Bernie Sanders voted for it. Why? Because it also had, uh, you know, a violence against women provision and many and, and two thirds of the black caucus voted for it. Well, they were you know, they, they, they said, you know, we don't we we're, we're worried about, you know, crime in the streets as well. So it, it was it, and, 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 J, and Joe Biden, I, I quote Joe Biden, he says, from now on, you know, when it comes to building prison cells, you know, it's liberal Democrats who are for that. I mean, so this was a kind of a, a moment that was a, a, just showing the kind of reactionary character of, uh, across the board. Uh, later on, it would become extremely controversial and would be considered a building block of the carceral state. Although I have to say that the carceral state began well before this, you know, and continued well after it. Um, uh, but there was it was built, I think I don't know what was it thirty billion dollars over a, a period of time just to build new prisons and also, you know, three strikes you're out, you know, very harsh penalties, etc. This was this was clearly a, a, a moment. But I think the remarkable thing is it wasn't as controversial as it would become. That was the thing. Right. The 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 welfare bill was the more controversial one. That was the one that had you know. Yeah, it, it sounded like even moderates like Robert Rubin were kind of aghast at the at the welfare. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, see, see, Rubin is interesting. I think this is important. Rubin's interesting. Rubin, what is neoliberalism? See, I mean, what is neo neoliberalism? Doesn't mean t- top hatted guys 
uh, who are for sla- you know, for you know, throwing people out of you know, in the, on the streets and etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. I mean, Rubin is a welfare state liberal, okay, but he's unquestionably a neoliberal. <laughs> and how do those two things go together? Because he's he's for all sorts of you know affirmative action. Uh, he's for he was against the the welfare bill because he says, uh, yeah, capitalism is kind of chaotic, you know, and some people don't you know are victims of it. He says that, but. What Rubin thinks is we must have the absolute mobility of capital. We must have that. That's absolutely essential. The liquidity, because you know, that's essential to make the economy efficient, the global economy efficient. Don't get in the way of that. So he's against industrial policy. Uh, he's against regulate, regulation. He's in all in favor of the derivatives, you know, deregulation. Well, what that means is you're going to have a, a, a economy which is which is which is chaotic, which is uh, a kind of uh, a capitalist anarchy, and the possibility of building a welfare state in that kind of economy, you know, is much reduced. You know, so he may say he's in favor of, you know, uh, oh, you know, this or that, but in fact, if, you, if you're going to have his economic system globally, you know, it's it's going to make it much more difficult or really impossible to do that. So, I mean, that's what ne- in other words, neoliberals are just are not for they they can be they can be liberal um, um, on social policy issues, but but as long as they're neoliberals on on the on the on ca- when it, the structure of capital. You know, the two are in contradiction. That's what I'm saying. Right. It doesn't just mean stuff I don't like, as it as it often. Yeah, is. that's right. That's right. That's right. That's right. Uh, right. Another guy, Gene Sperling, by the way, who wrote some, writes a book called the um, the the pro growth progressive. Gene Sperling is for every good thing, you know, whether it's you know uh, uh, you know uh, 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 this welfare thing or that, etc. But he was one of the main drivers of of derivatives deregulation and and the end of Glass Steagall, and you know, and these are the things that you know structure the whole economy, you know. Yeah. Well, th- this new uh, sort of form of capitalism that's that's emerging is is very much a, a global one. Uh, yeah. In terms of Clinton's foreign policy, you know, the Cold War is yeah. over, uh, but he's still really flexing his muscle in, in Eastern Europe at several points, in, in the Middle East as well. How do you rank Clinton as a, a manager of U.S. empire? Well, in one sense, he he's... Uh... He's lucky. I mean, he comes in at the end and the Cold War's over and he has a lot of freedom. Uh, uh, now, you could make the argument and it's being made around Ukraine today that the that the ex- expansion of NATO into Eastern Europe was a mistake because this just uh, created a, 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 a help create, you know, great Russian nationalism in, in a more, def- you know, aggressive fashion that it might have been. The, and the, the one thing that I do deal in foreign policy, I don't do a lot, but it's mainly with the, the, the there's the East Asian financial crisis, which includes Russia. And um, the the uh, the issue there was, you know, the mo- again, the mobility of capital and the people at, at the Treasury Department, Rubin and Summers, this is a sine qua non. You know, you can't limit that. Uh, and so at one point, uh, when Russia is really on the verge of default, uh, and the every everyone else in the Clinton cabinet, Madeleine Albright, Strobe Talbot, you know, all the kind of people who really were, you know, foreign policy experts, they say we've got to give some more money to the to I think Yeltsin at that time because you know we 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 can't have default. This will just create chaos and uh, authoritarianism. And Rubin says. You can get another Secretary of Treasury if you do that, because if you do that, 
you're creating a moral hazard, which will mean that other countries will want to be bailed out. And we can't do that. You know, we, you know, we got, you know, and basically it's Rubin against every foreign policy expert and he wins. Mm. And that's why I call Robert Rubin the most, but unquestionably the most powerful figure in the Clinton um, White House, uh, the Clinton administration, uh, with the possible exception of Bill Clinton himself. <laughs> in the year 1998, there's no doubt that Ronald, that Robert Rubin is basically running the country, he, and that's the year of, of Lewinsky. Right, and he's running. He's running the country. So, um, uh, uh, and, and and then and then and then at the end of Clinton's um, memoir, he says, "Oh, I had a telephone call with uh, Vladimir Putin. I hope he has the how do you put it? I hope he has the strength and the wisdom." to you know get russia you know <laughs> on the right track mm. you know i mean and putin comes out comes i mean the 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 us was pushing uh, again the treasury department is pushing on russia a form of kind of you know free market capitalism which that country just couldn't sustain and creates you know the 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 the, the, the basis for the oligarchs and and putin and everything else Right. You know, and, and going back to that 92 campaign as well, there's a very much a live idea in the Democratic Party, at least, that uh, the Cold War is over, winding down, and we can demilitarize. We can actually cut the defense budget. Yes, yes. The, the, the defense budget is cut. It is cut. One one way that, that Clinton, I mean, one of his arguments is we're going to cut the defense budget and we're going to give some of that money for, for stimulus and, and industrial policy and, and whatnot. They, they do cut the defense budget and... Uh, uh, it, 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 it is. Uh, and, and they, uh, you know, uh, they do do that. I would say one other thing that, that is a very strong ideological trope, and it gets stronger and stronger in the 90s, is, well, free trade and capital mobility, th these are linked to democracy. And so China, okay, China may be, you know, authoritarian now, but if we have free trade, that means you're going to have to have a, a stock market, you're going to have to have a financial press that writes about the stock market. You can't phony up the figures. So you're basically leading to civil society. And they, they make that argument all over the place. And, uh, and that's one of their the, 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 the um, uh, things that, that helps rationalize uh, the opening to China uh, and, and other, other authoritarian countries of that sort. Right. Well, before I forget, you mentioned the Lewinsky scandal, which uh, is not, oh, yeah. not unlike a lot of Clinton books, not something you spend a, a ton of time dissecting, but you do posit what I found to be a, a really interesting theory, perhaps, that uh, she may have saved uh, entitlement entitlements from being cut. Uh, yeah. How does that go? Well, yeah, I mean, yeah. So he, the, the Lewinsky scandal begins in January of 98, and it and sort of grows and grows. And uh, Clinton, uh, in, in, in late 97 and throughout 98, they're, they're having these meetings in the White House between Larry Summers and Newt Gingrich uh, and sometimes Clinton. And they're basically tr trying to cut a deal in which uh, you'll begin the privatization of Social Security. Uh, and, you know, and, and I don't know, Gingrich would give some, you know, would 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 something he would offer, you know, maybe some more a uh, little more money for for. Um, uh, children's health or something like that, but they're 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 they're, they're, work, they're having meetings every they're secret, uh, and they're going on every two or three weeks. Uh, and um, what's his name? Um, uh, 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 Bowles and uh, Simpson. Um, uh, what? Alan Simpson. Uh, oh no, different different Bowles. Not fans. Simpson, and then Bowles is what's Bowles' first name? Alan uh, or no? Uh, Erskine. Uh, yeah, yeah, Erskine Bowles. 
You're right. Yeah, he's the chief of staff uh, of Clinton at that time, very conservative, one of the most conservative people. And in fact, he was brought on to cut deals with Gingrich. That's why he was brought on Erskine Bowles, a North Carolina businessman. And, and that's happening. That's going. That's sort of proceeding, you know, and the, the way in which, you know, uh, policy change takes place. You have lots of meetings. You get people on board. Everyone was on board. Well, <laughs> with Lewinsky, <laughs> who is going to defend Bill Clinton? You know, in the House of Representatives against impeachment, and then later on in the Senate, it's not going to be the uh, the, the 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 conservative side of the Democratic Party. Uh, uh, it's going to be the liberals, the, the left liberals. It's going to be uh, Bar Barney Frank, who, by the way, knew something about economics and knew something about finance. You know, he was not a, uh, and of course was gay. Uh, Maxine Walters and uh, and and others. You know, and uh, so. Clinton realizes by the fall of 1998 that, uh, you know, if he wants, you know, if he wants to be defended, he can't proceed on this 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 uh, um, uh, beginning of privatization of Social Security. And at one point he says, I've screwed labor enough, you know, <laughs> and, and, and in fact, it is, of course, the left wing, of the Democratic Party that 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 rallies and and makes the uh, the impeachment and then later on the the effort to convict him in the Senate, a kind of dead letter. Uh, and, and in the process, Clinton changed basically uh, gets rid of uh, Erskine Bowles, <laughs> uh, brings in, I think, uh, who was the more liberal guy, and they rewrite the speech. And basically, uh, he gives a speech in in, uh, in 90, what was it, 1999, I think, early 99, uh, you know, which basically says, you know, we're done with that. You know, we want to have maybe 401k, you know, something. But, you know, basically, they, they end that. So, uh, yeah, so, I mean, it's, it's, of course, not true that Monica Winsky saves all this, but that was the that was the context. That was the context right. in which Clinton finally has to has to rely on on the left, you know, on the on, on the people who supported him. Yeah. yeah, and he's also fighting them at that time on uh, f financial deregulation. Yes, uh, right. That's yeah. That's that's a little bit more under. Yeah, that 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 bursts into the and right at the same time. And there I have a long the story with um, uh, Brooksley Bourne, mm -hmm. uh, who was head of the. Um, uh, Commodity Future Trading Corporation, which was an otherwise smaller agency, but really should be, you know, was was it was not only um, uh, in charge of futures in 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 corn and cattle, but also futures in in financial instruments. And so it was really her agency that wanted to regulate derivatives. And boy, that created a huge blow up in which everyone comes down on her like a ton of bricks. And it just shows the power of. Uh, of the new uh, kind of you know Wall Street financial uh, side, uh, everyone you know uh, Ruben Summers um, uh, Greenspan just come down on her, and she's basically pushed out. Uh, but ten years later, they all say, "Yeah, she was right." <laughs> what do you know? Yeah, in two thousand eight, two thousand nine. Yeah, they all say that, and Clinton does too. Clinton does. Clinton, I mean, Clinton was kind of out of it, of course. Again, a president, you know, you know, is is up there. Um, and, you know, below him are, you know, key kind of figures who when they when they kind of have their meetings and they write their papers and then they present it to the president, the president really is going to say, what? No. <laughs> now, there were people who were against that, like um, uh, uh, Joseph Stiglitz. Mm -hmm. uh, but, you know, he's he's kind of exiled as well, you know, and people, you know, this, you know, he, he's sort of exiled to the to the World Bank and then he's thrown out of the World Bank. Right. That that was a really fascinating part in the book as well. How did he get uh, he writes an op ed, I believe, and that gets him yeah. 
out of his job. Yeah. I mean, yeah, he was, I mean, Stiglitz was a, you know, a, a bit of, well, not that much of a lefty. He wasn't that, but he, he did see, he was really pissed off at the International Monetary Fund and, and the Treasury Department for basically their, their completely, um, uh, when it came to the East Asian financial crisis, their, their fix, fixation on capital mobility. And he think he's in favor of, of these countries in the, in East Asia, uh, in, you know, having, having controls on capital. Um, and uh, Stiglitz, uh, you know, makes that argument. And then at one point, I think you're right. He wants to write this article in the New Republic where he says, uh, "Oh, it's after the, it's after the Seattle demonstrations." Mm-hmm. He says, "He says, uh, well, they were, you know, basically, uh, the, yes, there was chaos in the streets, and the protesters were right, you know, <laughs> uh, and, and yeah, and he, and then he is really he's tossed out of the uh, the world uh, the World Bank where he'd been the chief financial officer. Uh, but there are a few people like him around, and uh, basic, but basically they were they were marginalized. Yeah. yeah. And that moment in, in 1999 uh, with Seattle, Clinton has kind of gestured towards maybe some yeah. standards for the WTO. Right. Uh, right. What could right. it could that have gone differently? Could could we have a different? Well, I mean, you know, I mean, see, I mean, here's the thing: Clinton subjectively always has these somewhat, you know, liberal, progressive sort of impulses. He is. That's what he is. But without a kind of, you know, um, kind of core of of other people who are going to sort of support that and 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 bring that to the fore in a kind of systematic way it's just a gesture you know and the whole you know for example the united states trade uh trade representative there's a whole kind of organization there led by uh, uh charlene barshevsky who's a kind of you know free trade person from way back you know they've already done you know they've they've done their work and at one point Barshevsky says to, to Bill Clinton I don't think I like what was in the paper today you know when he gives this you know this kind of a, a liberal uh, interview and you know she has a staff she's been negotiating these things for for five years what's Clinton he's he's been running around he's been fighting dealing with Lewinsky he he, he can only have a gesture you know a, a, a president has to have you know people People who agree with him, who are kind of going to organize his ideas. I mean, Trump found that too. Trump would have these gestures, and but he had no one to carry it out. Mm. Anyway, Clinton, in, the, in on a more liberal side, had that same thing. And and clearly, I think with China, there's just a whole structure of of uh, business policy people, um, uh, the Chinese government itself. Who come together and say we have to have this opening, uh, you know, and and here's that, you know, and then they work it out. It's not automatic, but they work it out, and then basically it's a it's a fait accompli, which is presented to Clinton, and you know, it happens. Right, and part of that PNTR negotiation as well is the U.S. really puts pressure on China uh, to suppress the state-owned enterprises as right. well. Uh, well, 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 yeah, Wall Street, and and they did. Wall Street wanted to wanted to capitalize these state-owned em- mm-hmm. enterprises. Like I tell it, the biggest telecom company in the world is is China, and 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 this stuff is sold on 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 Wall Street. They're selling stock. I mean, they, they, uh, the the big uh, uh, hedge funds and and the, and the investment banks are making tons of money. Uh, you know. Basically, f- capitalizing these state-owned enterprises, and you know, and, and they they end up on Wall on the on the New York Stock Exchange, you know, and they're making a lot of money. Um, so that's you know that that was that was a, a big a big deal, uh, and 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 Rubin was into that, and and, and all sorts of other American, uh, uh, you know, uh, well, financial capitalists were were pushing that very hard. Right, uh, and on the the Seattle question, to what extent yeah. did that 
constrain the those demonstrations in 99 the world trade organization and, and did it change yeah. the public narrative about uh globalization in general and really shift oh, the yeah. policy level policy right, right. Th that's a good point uh, i think on policy uh it it didn't have much impact they, they just decided to hold their meetings in in like abu dhabi where you couldn't have demonstrations <laughs> and places like that but when it came to the kind of the the sense of the the kind of ideological uh, uh debates over it i think seattle unquestionably uh began to move the debate you know and question trade uh you know uh, uh, free trade uh, you know as a kind of a uh, you know, it, it, I think unquestionably it does that, and then uh, and then over time that that in, that increased, um, and uh, it, throughout the um, uh, the early twentieth twenty first century, and it was by the way it's in the early twenty first century. It's under Bush, but doesn't it, he was it wasn't he wasn't his, his thing. That's when the real hollowing out of the industrial Midwest really takes place. It was Clinton's policies, but of course there's a little delay, you know, that takes place, and it's and it, you could say that since it's happening under Bush, that gave an opening to other Democrats to say, oh, this is terrible, you know, and, and so I think I think you did be, you begin to get a shift on trade mm. uh, after after Seattle. Yeah. yeah. And then in, in Clinton's ex-presidency, there, there seems like a turning point, I guess, around the Obama years where he starts uh, apologizing. It seems like every yeah. other thing he did, uh, he's like, oh, I'm sorry, we screwed that up. I'm so sorry. Uh, there's very little now that he it, oh, I guess it depends on who he's talking to, but it seems like there's very little that he actually defends from his uh, administration. I mean, uh, yeah, I mean, he would defend, uh, you know, the low unemployment, which they got. Uh, he would defend the, the, the you know, the, the, although they lose on health care, they do get the chips, uh, you know, the children's health insurance, and that and that expands, you know. To, he would defend that, and he would defend probably, um, oh, he wouldn't defend the carceral. He wouldn't defend the prison. No, he's, he's repudiated that. He said, we made a mistake on that. Um, uh, he would, uh, well, he, you know, what else would he, you know, he, uh, and as foreign policy, I think he would say, well, we, we, we brought, you know, stability to the Balkans, or, you know, I think he, I would think he would probably do that, but you're right. I think on many of these financial things, and I, I, I looked for the quotes and I could find them in, in 2008, they're all apologizing. Yes. You're right about that. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. Well, what, that brings me to maybe my last question. What, what do you rank as maybe his, the, the redeeming parts of the Clinton administration? And uh, what do you think is his biggest failure? I know there's a lot to choose from there. Oh, boy. Gosh. Well, I don't know, redeeming. I mean, you know, I mean, I'm not a president, you know, presidential, hist you know, historians. Right. I, I'm really kind of hostile to that concept. <laughs> you know? uh, I mean, you know, it, it's a structure of politics and, and, and of economics. I mean, I do think that the, uh, well, I do think this, I think the the Clinton health insurance plan was a uh, was a important initiative. Uh, it failed, and I think my I may have an analysis of why it failed. Not because it was too long or complicated, but because the certain structures uh, of, of pol political and, and economic sport weren't there that they thought were there. But I do think that ultimately that prepared the way for the Obama uh, plan. And Obama learned a lot from the Clinton failure. So that's one thing that I that I don't see as a kind of, oh, just an utter failure. I, th I think that was actually important. Um, and um, I mean, he did show that you could raise taxes on the rich. And that's what he did do in 93. It was a very close call, you know. And, and, and by the time he did that, by the time the law was passed, the budget was passed, all of the stimulus things and were, were sort of cut out of it. But nevertheless, they did raise taxes on the rich, which hadn't happened you know, for a long time. Um, well, so, you know, I mean, um, 
uh, but I but no but I'm not I don't I don't want to play that game I can't play that game I think Clinton is in some ways a a prisoner of of institutions that that were there or that he helped create you know and his subjective progressivism yeah it doesn't count for anything if it if it if it doesn't have any policy impact mm-hmm. you know so I'm not going to give him any credit for that uh, and uh, you know I I think and his greatest failure his greatest failure unquestionably is I think the the uh, allowing at the end of it toward the second in the second term especially just uh, opening the door uh, to the absolute uh, financialization of of so much uh you know and the 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 end of glass steagall uh, which was happening already but still that happened and then the the, de- the the deregulation of derivatives which was you know a time bomb waiting to explode and it did and then the 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 uh, unfettered uh, trade especially with with china where they where they they uh, convinced themselves this would all work out for the best, but really, uh, it was it was also a time bomb, uh, waiting to explode. Right. Well, perhaps a, a more pertinent last question uh, when we think about the '90s is for the left. Yeah. What are the the most uh, important lessons you think for for organized labor and the and the broader uh, progressive movement when when you have a, a president? Well, well, I mean, I mean, one thing is that I think the today the, what's interesting in the Biden administration is that, that 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 some of these ideas which were which were just marginalized entirely in the early Clinton period are, are now coming back. I mean, the the uh, uh, you know um, uh, a very vigorous Federal Trade Commission you know fight and 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 DOJ antitrust division is is you know is is finally intervening in 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 Silicon Valley. Uh, uh, actually, Clinton's NLRB was was actually fairly liberal uh and now we have a, a even more a liberal nlrb on steroids uh, and and but we also have a kind of energized uh, section of the working class which was not not the case in the 90s but it is the case today so um uh, yeah i mean yeah i mean un- i mean i do think if, if you're talking about social democracy in the in the modern world there is no way to have it without a organized working class. I mean, the, the you know, and I, th- I would even go farther and say, you no way to preserve democracy without an organized working class. And the Clinton period, unfortunately, is when, when the when the union movement was in the when the greatest doldrums, um, both organizationally and ideologically. And that's not not the case today. So I think that you can, you know, looking back from today, it it, it makes things clearer. You can see what's wrong. You know, you can see what 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 didn't happen. You know. So, um, uh, you know, we and, and I think let me just one one final thing here. Um, the it's not enough to have good ideas or liberal ideas or liberal programs. You have to know what the structures of the of the economy are and the, both domestically and the world and who your enemies are. And that you need to be clear sighted about that. So. Clinton had some good ideas to begin with, but he's defeated because he didn't have a sufficient understanding of, of where power lay in the in the political economy and how to how to counter it or co-opt it. And I think that's something that progressives have to understand. It's not enough just to have a program. You have to say, okay, how's this going to be put into effect? Who's going to be opposed? You know, and how do we counter that? You know, and. Uh, I think that that and I think that that's a lesson we can learn from Clinton. Right. Well, I think that's a, a very good note to end on. Uh, the book is a fabulous failure. You can find it in a bookstore near you. Uh, Nelson Lichtenstein, thank you so much for joining me. Delighted. Good to talk to you. That's the show. Thank you so much for listening, everybody. And thanks again to Professor Lichtenstein for 
granting us some of his time. If you're interested in the book, I'll put a link in the show notes of the Princeton Press page, PPP, uh, on the book uh, where you can order it, etc. Um, and if you are in New York City or coming to New York City this weekend, depending on when you're listening to the show, you may have time to come to our joint live show with Minion Death Cult and the Antifada. Uh, that's going to be at Littlefield on Sunday night, doors 7, show at 8. I will put a link to get a ticket in the description as well. It's funny how I say get a ticket as if you're all coming alone because that's, uh, that's I know our fan base. Um, I'm one of you. Um, so yes, thank you again so much. It's finished. <laughs>